February 15, 2017. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. And Chet, springing is in the air, my friend. The Phillies pitchers and catchers have reported. We've got a great guest making his first visit to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable to tell us all about it. We've got Fred Hugo back to talk Super Bowl, the Sixers. We're even going to go talk about some Flyers as well. Yeah, the Sixers are certainly giving us plenty to talk about, Bill. I have a feeling that we're going to have a lively debate about that stuff later on. And, you know, I love seeing the activity down in Clearwater. For one thing, as you said, it means spring isn't that far away. And I, too, am really excited about our special guest. <clears throat> Me, too. So let's get it rolling. Let's welcome Chris Wheeler to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable. Chris, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Chet. It's nice to be with you guys tonight. Hey, Chris. Uh, as we said, thanks for joining us. Great meeting you the last couple of Decembers at the Phillies Clubhouse store events that they've had every year. Phillies pitchers and catchers have reported to Clearwater, as we said, something that's happened every year, I guess, since 1955. <laughs> and I believe you've been going down there in February since the early 70s. Is that accurate? And is it still fun? Yeah. My first spring training was 1972. I'll never forget that. And I'd only been here about two weeks. We were staying at the old Fort Harrison Hotel, and Larry Shank and I were having breakfast. And he said to me, i got to ask your opinion on something. He said, JQ, that was John Quinn. He said, he just traded Rick Wise for Steve Carlton. He said, what do you think? And I said, well, I think the fans are going to hate it, but I think it's a really good deal. So that was, my, <laughs> that was two weeks into my first spring training here in Clearwater. So, yeah, that was quite a start. Yeah, you certainly called that one right. <laughs> As a guy who's been down there for all those spring trainings, Chris, uh, where do you what do you watch for in February and March with uh, the guys working out and uh, the spring training uh, games? That's a great question. Uh, you know, the thing you have to really be careful about spring training, I've always said forget about spring training and forget about September when you're out of the race because they really don't mean anything. But spring training for this team I think is more interesting than it's been in a long time. And what do you look for? Number one is you look for health. Uh, you know, it's a little bit longer this year, so it worries you a little bit, in my opinion, because of the World Baseball Classic. So we're getting started probably a week earlier. So that's another potential time for somebody to come down with an injury because you're going to be down here a little bit longer. But you want to see guys get healthy, and you want to kind of see how some of these young kids handle themselves. Not necessarily that they're going to be facing great major league pitching because it depends what time they're in the ball game, whether they're facing a double A guy or a triple A guy or an A ball guy from another team. But just to see how they handle themselves in the clubhouse, how they handle themselves in the exhibition game, how long they keep them around before they cut them and they send them back to the minor league camp. So those are the things that I always look for. Number one, the health of the guys and then the you know, the players you have coming up. When you have a veteran team, all you're looking for from those guys is just to get them in shape. I remember one year, Kreck went over for the spring 
and then lit it up when the, when the, <laughs> when the season started. So I am one of those guys that tries to totally ignore, well, not totally, but almost ignore numbers down here and just kind of watch a lot of different things. Chris, for this team, uh, you know, now that the 2008 version is completely gone, they signed a couple veteran outfielders. Uh, is there a leader that you see that emerges from this team out of the youngsters, or is that why we've got the, the Hellickson's, the Buchholz, and a couple of those outfielders in? Yeah, and Howie Kendricks I'd like to throw in there, too, because that's a guy who's had a very, very strong major league career. And from what I hear, he's a guy that uh, is a big-time guy in the clubhouse. So I don't know that yet. And, uh, you know, if we talk later in the year, I'll give you my opinion on it or what I hear. Uh, as far as the young guys go, I have no idea. This is truly one of those years where people say, what are you going to be like? And I say, well, tell me who's on the plane when we leave St. Pete this year. Because uh, it, it really will be a – I think if you're a baseball fan, guys, this will be one of the coolest spring trainings in a long time because everybody knows there are a lot of highly publicized kids in the minor league system that have put up big-time numbers and done a lot of things either coming in our organization or in trades. And, uh, you know, they're getting closer. They're not A-ball guys now. You're talking about guys that will be going to double, uh, triple-A and double-A at the lowest. So it'll be fun this year. If you, Like I said, if you're a fan, you know, if you're just somebody that wants to come to spring training and see a bunch of stars uh, perform, well, this isn't the camp to do it in because we don't have that right now. We had it for a long time, but we don't have that now. What we have are, are prospects, potential guys. And if you like to watch guys develop and make your own opinions and go home and tell everybody, hey, I really like this guy, and then can sound smart later. This is a good year to do it. <laughs> Chris, it looks like the Phil's everyday lineup is fairly well set already at this point with new additions Howie Kendrick, who you mentioned, and Michael Saunders taking over the corner outfield spots next to Odubel Herrera. What do you think of those additions, and will they provide some protection to Michael Franco? Hopefully. Um, I, I've seen Howie Kendricks a lot, and I like him. He's, he's a professional hitter. You know, He's not a big-time power hitter. You know, he can hit some home runs. But he has good at-bats. He uh, puts a ball in play, and it doubles. So, yeah, he should be a good guy in the lineup. Saunders, you know, it's interesting. I've seen him a lot in spring training over the last few years because we play the Blue Jays so much. And he was really hot against us in spring training last year. And one thing I noticed was he really drove the ball to left and left center, even though he's a left-handed hitter. Uh, I don't remember him being anything in the outfield that jumps out at you like a real good outfielder. Or, or, or a guy who's a liability. So we'll just have to see about that. But I think he does present a, give you a left-handed bat on a team with a lot of right-handed hitters who could be a force. And as you use, as you use the term, um, help Michael Franco out a little bit with, with protection because, you know, we've been pretty right-handed. And in this case, having a left-handed hitter with some pop, uh, he had a real good first half last year, struggled the second half. So it'll be interesting to see who we get. Well, Chris, let's turn to pitching because obviously that, that's critical and you can't have enough of it. But the Phils seem to have all oh, six or seven maybe besides the two, the two veterans, young arms. Um, but it looks like there's a chance, again, they could come out of spring with five right-handed starters in the rotation. Um, what do you do with the guys that don't make the club? I mean, can they go back to AAA if they're borderline guys, or are they kind of guys that get lost a little bit? Well, that's the thing we have right now a lot, Chet and Bill, are uh, guys with options. And I think I don't have to go into what options are. I think fans understand what that means. You know, you get to a point where guys out of options, and then you have to then you have really tough decisions to make in spring training. 
because then the guy's out of options. You have to outright him, and you have a chance to lose him. Uh, another team can then claim him. If a guy has options, you can send him to the minor leagues, and you don't have to worry about it. And you, you, you only use one option a year in a guy, and they get three. So we have guys with options. So I really don't see that as a problem this year, sending guys down. It'll be a matter of who you can keep healthy, who can impress them enough. As you said, uh, there are a lot of right-handers in camp. Uh, there's a lot of potential talent here. To me, there's not one guy that jumps out at you as a big-time one or a big-time two. Uh, but there's there's major league pitchers, I think, in this camp, and a lot of them are young, and maybe they can grow into a two-role or something like that uh, or be a solid three or a four. You know, we have to see if Nola's healthy because he, obviously everybody knows what he can do. And you know what Velasquez can do. You bring in Buck Holtz in here. And um, and Jeremy Hellickson, who everybody saw last year. And then you have Eikhoff and, and uh, those kind of guys who, who have had a taste of the major leagues and had a little bit of success. So that's part of what I was saying earlier. I think it's very intriguing of the things that can go on down here right now and to really sit and evaluate players and uh, and make your own opinions on them. Obviously, it'll be Matt Klintak and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Pete McCann and the coaching staff that will make the final decisions on all these guys. But uh, it's fun, kind of fun for fans to do that, too. Chris, I like Eikhoff a lot. I think uh, Velasquez certainly has a lot of potential. When he was on last year, he was really good. And then there's Aaron Nola, who you know, looked good at times, and then he was bothered by the elbow problems. What are you seeing? Yeah. What are you hearing about Nola's elbow? He says he's 100% healthy. Have we seen any evidence of that yet? Uh, knock on wood, because it's what's today, the 15th of February. Maybe yeah. by March 15th, you'll get a better feel for that. Uh, I, I, look, I can't answer that. Yeah. All you know is what the kid says. Uh, they decided that, um, and I don't know who they are, but the medical people, et cetera, decided the surgery wasn't necessary. Uh, it always bothers me when a guy has elbow tightness because, you, you know, it usually leads to Tommy John, and then that's a year. So hopefully it, that, that that is not his problem because we've wasted time with him if, in fact, he eventually has to have it this, this year. Then he misses all of this season. Then you got to get him in to play next year. So, Keep our fingers crossed because Aaron can pitch. He's uh, he's a guy that needs pinpoint control, but he has that when he's on. Last year, it was obvious something was wrong because the ball was in the middle of the plate and he's very hittable, like a lot of major league pitchers are, but he, he more than most. Uh, so he wasn't right. I uh, I haven't seen him to talk to him yet. He's a very friendly kid. I always kid him. I said, you know, you make me proud. you got to keep doing it because Sarge and I drafted you that night up in New York. We were, we were the club representatives that night. He gets a kick oh, out wow. of that. He says, yeah, yeah, I remember seeing you guys on TV that night. I thought I recognized you. So, uh, you know, he, he's, my guy. he's my guy. We picked him. <laughs> nice. Well, hey, Wills, you made, you made a comment that I find interesting about September when the, when the race is kind of over. And, uh, but I want to I get a little more into that. And, and Odubel, Odubel Herrera, for one, and Denmark Gomez, for the other, really struggled late in the year. I'm, yeah. I'm a huge Herrera fan. Uh, but second half, or certainly at the end of the year, he was not very good, and neither was Gomez. Is that more just playing a longer season than they've ever played before, or is that more September blues? I think that's a real good observation about playing a longer season. In, in uh, Odubel Herrera's case, obviously, as an everyday player, he did wear down. Uh, he was very good in the first half, and he started to wear down in the second half, or they figured him out. And, you know, you're going to find out this year uh, – Jimmy used to say all the time, Jim Fergosi, who I, I learned so much from. I learned so much from so many guys, but Jimmy was one of them. 
Jimmy always used to say, let me see the guy the second year he's in the big league, and I'll tell you what he is. And I really think there's something to that because guys can sneak up a little bit. Now, of course, you know, Jimmy came from a different era where there weren't all these analytics where you can figure guys out a little bit quicker. Um, but, uh, you know, Genmar, Genmar was never a closer, and he was unbelievable for five months. Uh, I, I always have a little bit of trouble with closers that, that are contact guys. Uh, because they'll throw their ground balls, and then, you know, if they find holes, they, they threw their ground ball, but it's a hit, and here goes the inning. Um, and then if they mix in a walk, then all of a sudden something can happen. I like those swing and a miss guys. But I think Pete has made it very clear that he feels that Jen Margomez has earned the right to be the closer, at least at this point in spring training. So we'll go from there. But to me, that guy was uh, – it was shocking last year how many uh, perfect innings he would have and rarely had a strikeout. Yeah. Uh, as far as the rest of the bullpen, Chris, uh, we got Hector Neris, who had a pretty good year last year. He's probably going to be the setup man again this year. Maybe he could close. Uh, then there are a couple of newcomers, Pat Nishak and Joaquin Benoit, who are 36 and 39, respectively. What do you think of these new additions? Well, those are the kind of guys they're going to bring in right now, uh, Benoit and uh, Nishak. And the reason being that uh, you notice there's a lot of one-year deals. And that's what we have to do right now until the time comes to open the – open the bank and start bringing in some other guys when you, you develop the younger guys. Um, Nishak, I always liked him. He could really get right-handed hitters out. You know, he throws down from his leg, down from his knee. He's one of those guys that right-handed hitters don't like. Left-handed hitters do, but right-handers don't like him. Joaquin Benoit was one of those guys that would come in and get you out with splits. He had a really, really good change-up or split, whatever you want to call it. In his case, I think it's a split. And he threw hard. I mean, he could throw in the mid-90s most of his career, even with his age. So I think those two guys are have a chance to really help you as opposed to some of the veterans we brought in here last year, and they were all a bust. The other guy that uh, you mentioned, um, um, uh, Naris, wow, he was really impressive last year. Now, that's my kind of closer because he gets he's a swing and miss guy. He gets strikeouts and you know, when you swing, then you have the other team swinging and missing, nothing's going to happen. And that's kind of a nice way to end the game. Hey, Chris, I want to take you back in time just a little bit. And uh, I don't know how many games that you've actually called, but there's there's thousands, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh. Uh, but I, I, I want to ask you, what was it like back in the day to come to the ballpark and know that you're going to watch number 32 go out on the mound oh, and you're man. watching – one of the greatest pit, you know, you're watching one of the greatest pitchers yeah. that's ever walked on the field. What was it like to go be part of that and then also get to call that as well? It was great. I mean, he, you know, he, um, you know, Lefty had that reputation as a guy wouldn't talk to anybody. Well, he just didn't talk to the media. I had a great relationship with Steve Carlton back then, and he, he still do. And he's one of my favorite people. And to watch him, to watch him prepare. And to watch his teammates rally. And, you know, in 72, we were awful. And he won those uh, 27 games, and the team won 59. But he would come in and say, it's win day, boys. And, you know, they just, for whatever reason, could step it up a little bit. Uh, and then he went on to have so many years after that in our uniform. And, you know, he would pitch quick games. He would strike a lot of hitters out. He rarely walked anybody. Once in a while, he would have a tough game, but, you know, he didn't have that many of them. He didn't have any physical problems till the very end. And, and the guy was the ultimate professional. Uh, so to me, he was just, it was a thrill to be able to watch him for so many years in his career. And I hope the people that were lucky enough to watch him like we were, 
you know, I was, a, I was young when I met Steve Carlton. I was only 26, 27 around that time. And I think he's a year older than me. So we're around the same age. And, you know, I got to watch him in his prime and do the things that he did. So I, that's a great point. Uh, it, it, I just feel lucky to have seen him and, and Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt. And, you know, I could go on and on with the great players that we've had, the Hall of Fame type, you know, recently and having Halliday. And then uh, uh, Ryan Howard and Utley and, and, uh, and Jimmy, those kind of guys. So I've been a lucky guy for a long, long time here to watch some great players come through here. Well, Chris, you mentioned one of the guys I was going to ask you about, Pete Rose. He is now eligible for the Phillies <laughs> Wall of Fame. I'm going to yeah. go out on a limb and predict that he'll be in there as soon as they put it up to a vote. Uh, how much fun was it watching Pete those five years and you know, the five years with the Phillies? And would they have won a championship without him? I don't think so. Well, yeah, you know, to go through your points, uh, number one, um, no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think he was the difference because you guys, you know, I, I know you can tell you guys go back and you saw a lot of games and you saw how we just kept coming up short in uh, 76, 7, and 8. And then, all, then the whole pitching yep. staff seemed like it got hurt in 79. The Pirates were so good. We are family. And then, you know, Petey come over in 79 and you could get a little feel for it. And then at 80, Boy, you know, he told Mike Schmidt he was the greatest player in the game. And, you know, he had just hmm. come from playing with Bench and Perez and Morgan. And Schmidt, he looked at him like, me? I'm the best player? <laughs> he played with those guys? So, yeah, he, um, he he was a difference. He absolutely was a difference. He brought a winning attitude into that clubhouse. Uh, he and I, and, you know, Pete wasn't a real vocal guy. I don't know what people think of him or what they, they thought he was like. He wasn't a guy that chirped a lot and said a whole lot. But when the game started, boy, it was game on. And if he had one hit, he wanted two. If he had two, he wanted three. If he wanted three, he wanted four. And the other guys just kind of understood when they watched him run out every ground ball. And he wasn't a young man at that age, at that time, too. You know, he was starting to get up in his career. You figure he broke in in, what, 64 or something like that, I think, five, uh, or maybe even earlier. So, you know, he was getting near the end at that point. And he was just, just the most amazing hitter. Uh, you, you needed him to play a new position. He'd play the new position, whatever it took. Uh, and the last thing is, I hope you're right about him being elected. Uh, I, I, I I love him. I've been with, was with him five years and was like a PhD in the game. Uh, and I've had a lot of time to, to spend with him since then in, in different instances. Recently, at a banquet in Philly that he came to, that I um, that I introduced him and spent a lot of time with him that night. Still one of my favorite people in the game. He's a complex man. Everybody knows all the things that have happened with him, but to know him and to have him as a friend is uh, is uh, is a joy. Hey Chris, you uh, as we said, you got to live through the 1980 World Championship, the 2008 World Championship. But let me ask you: Were those the two best teams? Who was the best team that we actually had? And <laughs> Maybe they didn't win that championship. Yeah. Well, my, you know, people ask me who my favorite team was, and it was the 80 team because, we're, like I just said about Lefty, a lot of us were around the same age. Like Bo and I have the same, the same age, although I'm three months older than him, and he keeps mentioning that. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know what? That 78 team and that 77 team, man, they were really good. And you look back, what could go wrong went wrong in postseason. And back in those days, you only had to win three games and you went to the World Series. It isn't like it is now where it's, gosh, it's brutal to get to the World Series now with all the layers of playoffs you have to go through. But back then, we only had to win three. And 
everybody remembers what happened, especially in 77 with that Friday night game and then the rain the next night. And, and of course, the game in 78, we got behind two games and none and started to come back. And then, uh, you know, the drop fly ball and those kind of things. So those teams were good. But to say that the 80 team, look at the Hall of Famers on that team. Look at the potential Hall of Famers on that team. And the guys that came up as young players like Lonnie Smith and Keith Moreland and guys like that who went on to have great careers, that team was really loaded. And uh, when, when I look back on it, you can see why it won when we added Pete to the mix. Wheels, you were part of the broadcast team for, I believe, 37 years. So this is a two-part question. Do you miss yeah, no. broadcasting the games? I'm pretty sure you do. And secondly, <laughs> what is John Cruck going to bring to the broadcast booth? You know what? I don't miss it like I used to. The first year I was miserable, absolutely miserable, because it wasn't my decision. It was a 100% Comcast Sports and that decision. They didn't want me anymore. So uh, yep. that was something that I had to live with, um, the rejection of it, and also the fact that uh, I thought I was still pretty good at it and should have still been on. So I had a little bit of an attitude. I never expressed it publicly, and I, and I never did. I always kept stuff to myself, but I was angry that year. Second year, I missed it. Last year, boy, it was a lot easier. I play a lot more golf, and I can do more things. <laughs> and this year, you know, it was the fourth year out. Uh, I just go and watch the games, and they, 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 it's so nice. They let me sit in the uh, the vice president's box. I sit up there with my friend David Montgomery and Michael Stiles, another vice president. We sit there with a lot of other VPs, and I just sit there and watch the game and enjoy it and talk to people that come in and talk to people that want to sit with us and talk the game, and uh, I really enjoy that part of it. Uh, so, no, I, I, I don't miss it like I used to. Crucky will be interesting. Johnny is um, – Johnny's a personality. Johnny has uh, – everybody knows what he's like as a player, uh, what a gamer he was. He has that very dry sense of humor. Uh, it'll be very interesting uh, for me to see him do – he and I did a, a – uh, they mentioned that he worked with the Phillies one year. Well, that was Johnny and I worked together on cable for one year. Uh, I did play-by-play, and he was the analyst, and I really enjoyed that yeah, experience. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I, people forget that, you know, not to, but yeah. I thought we were pretty good together. And having worked with him, he's very good. And I thought at that time he should be on a network, and the next year he was at ESPN. Uh, so he, he could be real good. Tom is very, very good, I think, at using a partner. Uh, and he'll bring him out. He'll bring his strong points out, and I think he'll he'll do fine. The only thing I wonder about, Johnny, is uh, certain games, you know, they're baseball, you know, it's not like the NFL when you play 16 of them. You know, you don't have that many turkeys. <laughs> You have some, although people never think an NFL game is a turkey if they're betting on it, I guess. But uh, baseball, you play 162, you get some bombs, bad games, and uh, you can't help it. And the game's over in the you know the game's over in the second inning. Uh, It's nine nothing, and you know this is over. Um, But you know what? You got to hang in there and entertain because that man and woman have been sitting, have been out uh, working hard all day, and you're their entertainment. So I think that's something to be interesting to me to see how he hangs in in those kind of games. I don't think there'll be any problem at all on the nights when the games are good and there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I think he'll be outstanding. Very good. Well, Chris, I have two quick questions for you, final questions for you. First is uh, that there's that famous video of of Harry making the final call of the 2008 World (laughs) Series when you're doing all you can to be a cheerleader. Yeah. And you weren't allowed to talk, but what happened 
after he got done? Did was Chris Wheeler going out of his mind? Well, I'll tell you, uh, and I and I, you know, I've told this story and people enjoy it. Um, as you guys know, in 1980, uh, we weren't on the air. Uh, the the local right. guys couldn't do the games. And, in fact, mm-hmm. the Phillies fans complained so much because they couldn't hear Whitey and Harry, and to a lesser extent Andy and me, that, um, that they changed it, I think, two years later, and now you're allowed to do radio. So Harry had to recreate the World Series. He did a terrific job on a 33-and-a-third record. Any kids listening are wondering, what the heck that is? You know, you have to explain <laughs> it. But he did a great job. And it was a, it was a strange feeling that night in the, in the box when I was on with him. It hit me – I think it was when they had a runner on second base to raise and there were two outs to go. And I thought, gosh, if we can, if we can get two outs here, we're going to win the world series. We had our bags packed. We we're going to have to fly to St. Pete that night. Nobody wanted to leave. Nobody wanted to get on an airplane that night. We didn't. And I said to myself, you know, whatever you do, shut up. Don't get in the way. Like, you know, some analysts are, you know, they're hooping and hollering in the background all the time. And I said, this guy deserves if we can somehow win this to make the, I'm sure he'll make a great call. It'll go down in history forever and just leave it alone. Well, I didn't realize until we were out the party about two hours later uh, that I had done what I did. I knew the kid was in there from Comcast with the camera and, you know, we kid about that now because I didn't want him in there because I'm so superstitious. Like we all are like, get out of here. We're going to lose because you're here, which is silly. Um, (laughs) And then the, my first thought when I saw myself is, oh, no, what are one of those jackasses on talk radio the next morning going to say about me? Because, you know, you <laughs> think about those kind of things. Sure. And the next day I was in the parade, and all these young guys were doing that thing, you know, with the hands going and looking up at me <laughs> and doing it. And it dawned on me. I said, you know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's something I'm going to – you know, I, I may have done whatever years I do in the booth, and I'll be remembered for a full body spasm. But I'm proud of the fact that I didn't. I'm proud of the fact I didn't get in the way of Harry, and that uh, you know, as, as we all know, we lost him the next year. So it means more and more to me as the years go by. He'll be gone ten. Let's see. We were talking about the other day that Vuk will be gone ten years this year, and Whitey will be gone twenty years, and Harry's eight. about what, eight years now. Yeah. So you know, as time goes on, and you think about losing those those people and those friends of yours and all that, that. Um, the memories become even better, and, the, and those kind of things really stand out to you. Wait, one, one last thing, Chris, before we get to our very quick Fast Five segment, uh, <clears throat> but I have one other mm-hmm. comment for you. Uh, one of our contributors, Fred Hugo, comes on with us all the time throughout the football season. He wanted to thank you for a time when you helped him and his buddies out who jumped into the dugout and tried to get <laughs> into the Phillies clubhouse and security was going to arrest them, and Chris Wheeler said, they're with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I have a great memory. (laughs) I don't remember that, but, Fred, if I help, it's my pleasure. I'm glad I could do something positive. It would have been my pleasure. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. All right. Well, hey, hey, Chris, as I mentioned, we do a segment. We're running out of time with you. So we, we do a segment called Fast Five. Basically, Chad asks five pretty simple questions. You give five pretty simple answers. Mm-hmm. You up for that as we finish up? Sure, go ahead. You, I'll be happy to do it. All right, Wheels. Try to keep your answers brief. I know that's going to be tough because, uh, you know, a lot of great memories here. But here we go. Other than the 1980 and 2008 World Series titles, give me another of your favorite memories from your 37 years behind the mic. 23-22 game in Chicago. Very memorable. Oh, that was especially since we won. That it. was a good one. 
Other than Pete Rose, who we discussed earlier, what opposing player or players did you enjoy watching play the most? Wow. When I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, uh, my favorite uh, visiting player that I was lucky enough to watch was Willie Mays, and I still say he's the best player I ever saw. And uh, I really enjoyed Albert Pujols in his uh, uh, when he was in uh, his um, his big years with the Cardinals. Great hitter. Sure. Hey, there's been more talk again lately about speeding up the game. Is that necessary, Chris? And what's your suggestion? A couple things. Um, I don't know if it's necessary, but I think in today's age when people have the attention span of a field mouse, a lot of them, that we have to do that. You know, we, we just can't be as leisurely as we used to be. And I think two things. Number one, uh, stop the trips to the mound. Cut them out, kept the catchers back there, and don't let them go out so much, and do something about cutting down on the number of relief pitchers you can bring into a ball game. All right. Over the last uh, 50 years or so, the Phillies have had quite a lot of managers. Of all the managers the Phillies have had since the mid-'60s, who was the best skipper and who was the most enjoyable to talk baseball with? I think I know the answer. Well, well, that is so hard because, you know, the most one of the most – I got to – enjoyable had to be Charlie because Charlie started out as, you know, people making him out to be a buffoon and then right. become one of the most loved people that ever wear the uniform. And, you know, I've, I've done so many pregame radio shows with managers. So Charlie entertaining, uh, Jim Fergosi and, and, you know, I don't want to, uh, cause Bobo was a manager, but I think of him more as a player and coach, and, but he helped me so much and Vuk. But Jim Fergosi as a manager and the time I spent with him, I probably learned as much baseball from a manager than any guy I was ever around. He was really good to talk a game with. I knew you were a Fergosi fan. And finally, Wheels, uh, prediction time. The Phillies won 63 games in 2015, 71 games last year. (laughs) I know it's February and a lot can happen, but how will they finish here in 2017? Oh, I I don't like predictions because people throw them You can hedge if you want. You know, I look, let me put it this way. Uh, I, I think this team could be better this year and then not be as good one loss wise, because I think the division's improved and you know me for a long time. I'm not a big him and haw guy, but the Braves are better and the Mets are better because their pitching's going to be healthy. The Marlins are good. So, you know, if you can win somewhere in the seventies, I think that would be a very good year this year. And if you ever, if you could somehow get the 500, that would be outstanding. Outstanding. All right. All right. Chris Wheeler, great job playing Fast Five. Hope it wasn't too painful for you. No, I love doing it. I thought you might ask me who my favorite college football team was. I could talk about Penn State, but that's all right. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm a Penn State alum. Penn State alum. Oh, yeah, I'm a big grad. That's that's another whole story. Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> We're right. going to have you on again, Chris. I hope you know that. Yeah, how okay. about we do this again? This is great. We could we could talk for hours. Sure, sure Bill. Chad, right. it would be my pleasure. It'd be my pleasure. Um, you know where I am. You got my cell. Give me a yell or I'll see you. You know, be sure and come up to see me. Like you said, you may be down here this year. Yeah, I'm going to look you up uh, March 21st, 27th. I'll, I'll, yep. Yeah, I'll be up in the in the box doing the PA. That's my job during spring training. So you you can't miss yeah, me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. All right, Will. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Thanks guys. Enjoyed the show. And, and uh, you, uh, you were well prepared. You asked good stuff. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Oh, thanks, Chris. Okay. See you. Take care. All right, Chad. Let's take a second. Thank our sponsor, ShopForKisses.org, the online shopping network of the Kisses for Kyle Foundation. By logging on to www.ShopForKisses.org's website, 
you become connected to over 3,000 stores, including all the big ones you already shop at. Every purchase made gets your cash back, and each purchase benefits the Kisses for Kyle Foundation, which helps families dealing with childhood cancer throughout the Delaware Valley. If you have any questions, contact Bob Sullivan at bobsullivan.shopcom at gmail.com or give him a call at 484-319-8043. We're going to play the music one final time. Here we go, Bill. One final time. Special guest Fred Hugo joining us to talk about the Super Bowl. Fred, welcome back. Sorry for the technical difficulties we had last week. We kept you off the show, but we wanted to get back to close out the season, and then we're going to keep you uh, for a few minutes if you have some time to talk Sixers. All right, great. Yeah, one last time. That, that was cool. That was, I was laughing as you were saying that. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Hey, did, were yeah. you on? Uh, did you get on in time to hear uh, Wheels talking about your security breach? Yeah, yeah, I, I heard. I probably should have clarified that it was in Clearwater when, when it happened. Maybe that would have rang a bell better. But yeah, I <laughs> definitely, it, it was me, two other people, and uh, we were like, "Oh man!" And then he just came walking down the little thing. He's like, "What's going on here?" And the, the guy said it to him, and he's like, "Ah, they're with me." And then the security guard left, and he walked us. Uh, Walk us back to their seasons and get out of here, type of thing. That's awesome. <laughs> no, so. That's awesome. No, good deal. All right. Well, hey, Fred, let's uh, let's talk Super Bowl. Uh, you were you were with the Falcons. Jeff was with the Falcons. I really wanted the Falcons, but I took the, the Patriots anyway. Uh, what'd you think of the game? What'd you think? And certainly, uh, Tom Brady was kind of special there at the end. Wow, what a game! What a game it was, and and I was kind of pumping my chest there in the first, actually the first three quarters. I'm like, I didn't think it would be that. The defense will play that good for the Falcons, but I'm like, they definitely. I thought they were overlooked, and I'm like, ah, oh, this this is great. And then um, Brady scores that that touchdown late in the third quarter, and they missed the extra point. And I um, I'm looking at it, and I'm just doing the math in my head, and I'm like, well, if if they do come back up. And it went a certain way. I, I'd win my uh, block pool, like a, a pretty good chunk of money, like not mine, another person's. And I'm like, so I went from caring about win, being right on this show to who cares about the show? Let's go Patriots. <laughs> so I was kind of rooting them the whole way. It was awesome. Hmm. Well, what did you What did you think? As did you kind of get the feeling as everybody, a lot of people that I've talked to got that. Once the turnover happened down down close, the Indian got the ball. They're still down a couple touchdowns. Um, you could feel that momentum swing off of the off the turnover. Were you like everybody else thinking, you know what, New England's really going to win this thing? They were still down. Yeah, you you could feel it. You really could. It was it was weird. It was almost like a movie that you're just waiting for that that crazy ending to happen. And 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 the group I was with was all we all felt it. It was like. It was amazing, and then the Falcons just couldn't couldn't adjust to what they were doing based on what they were playing in the first half. They, the, the Brady started to pick apart their their secondary, and it was just watching greatness, really. And I mean, as much as we hate the Patriots and and they beat us in the Super Bowl, um, it's it was just like watching greatness was awesome. It was just football, and I'm watching one of the greats just be the the he is. He I think he chalk him up. He's he's the best quarterback ever to play the game. So. 
Hey, Fred, switching gears, uh, it's off-season for the Eagles. There's a lot of mock drafts out there already. There's, you know, talking about the needs and everything. What do you expect the Eagles to do this off-season? Expect? I, I don't know. There's so many holes. I, what I want them to do is I, you never know what they're, what they're going to do. But free, free agency, I don't want them to go waste money on a huge free agent wide receiver. The wide receiver crop isn't great. I mean, a lot of people want Alshon Jeffrey, but he's injury prone. And, and by the time – we're trying to contend for a Super Bowl. He's going to be older anyway, so I hope they they get a more more Kevin Curtis type guy, just so Wentz has the ball, someone to throw the ball to. And then in the draft, I mean, it all depends on that early pick. I, I like Mike Williams, but I really really need to go defense. I need to go corner. I would take two corners in the first four rounds. It's so deep, and I just hope that. Howie and Joe Douglas are going to turn a different way of doing things as opposed to to the ways of the past, you know. I'm with you. Well, you know, one thing I think, Fred, about about picking DBs or two DBs is somewhere along the line they have to get a receiver. So if it's not a free agent guy, and, and I certainly don't want to overpay for a, for a wide receiver, but you can't come back with the guys they got. So – Somewhere, whether it's you know whether it's a second rounder or where it's going to fall, well they don't have a second rounder. Wherever it's going to fall, they've got to come up with a player at that wide receiver position. Also, well they no question need a need a wide receiver, but I mean I don't think they need the future wide receiver this particular year. You know they could go get a Kenny Stills. Mm-hmm. They could even bring back Deshaun Jackson, which I'm not really a fan of and have a, a solid year, and, and I, you could get them the following draft. But I, I see what you're saying. It, it was so bad this year, it's it's almost ruining Wentz if he's he's got all this pressure on him to make plays because he knows his receivers aren't going to make the plays. And I think that was a cause for a lot of force balls this year as well. Yeah, oh, I agree. All right, hey, let's flip over uh, while, while we have some time, before we run out of time, and let's talk sixes. And, Chet, you and I still differ on – the direction of this club, and I think based on, uh, you know, some of the latest comments, Fred has swung to my side of the fence. Fred, what, 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 what protect yourself here. Uh, no, let me I'll, talk to you. Because well, let me ahead. jump in first because this is driving me nuts. Okay, I believe Bill, you call the Sixers organization a train wreck. Now I'm not going to totally disagree with you. I'm going to say it's more like a nasty bus accident. I gotta be I gotta be honest though. The last two weeks have been a real challenge for even the most diehard Sixers fan, and all of us trust the process, folks. I can't deny the apparent cover-up of Embiid's minor meniscus tear, JoJo dancing on stage with rapper Meek Mill, the lack of a timetable for Ben Simmons' debut, the Jaleel Okafor near trade, and the non-trade. Brian Colangelo not being forthright about all that stuff. It's got my head spinning. Meanwhile, after a little slump, the Sixers through all of this go out and win three straight games. So that is a testimonial to the players and Brett Brown staying focused. But, yeah, the circus otherwise, it's kind of deplorable, and it's turning me off a little bit. I'm still trusting the process, but I admit I'm wavering just a bit. Oh, go ahead, Fred. What do you have to say? Well, it's it's tough not to waver because it's it's not the process that we trusted before. And the day Hinky was, was let go, they, they brought in Colangelo. I was a big Hinky fan, and I'm trying to not be biased towards Hinky. But you, you watch Colangelo, and the, the, the first thing he does is he shows all his hands, shows all his cards. He says, 
we need to get rid of some of these big men. Why would he, why he would do that? I don't know. And then he just he's he does the opposite of what he said. He's like, we're not going to tank, and and I'm going to be available for the media. And he just does a 360 the other way. And you just mm-hmm. you you still trust the process as far as the core people that are here, but it's like hard to, to trust him and the direction he's going to take it because right now it's a mess. You, the two two of the three big men basically are going to walk for nothing now when you could have got something for him last draft. And it's really frustrating as a fan that went through all that pain and now you're watching it get ripped away from you. I hear you. Yeah, and you, Bill? you know, our, our buddy Mike Silsey, you know, wrote a good article today. I posted it on our website this morning talking about, you know, the Colangelo stringing, stringing the fans along. And, you know, and I think the players that are playing – are are doing a great job. They really are, and the fact that they're they're winning some games and all that, they're getting better. They're, most of them are young, and, and Brett Brown, I guess, is, is doing a pretty decent job because I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he isn't the decision maker on which part of these bigs doesn't play tonight. I don't know that that's his call, but the fact this Okafor thing is, is a debacle. You know, the guy goes from not playing for three or four games to playing 35 minutes the next night to 24 minutes the next night to not playing for two more games. And now all of a sudden we're trading them. It's just they've devalued him and they've devalued the well by the way they've handled this thing. And I'm not, I'm not buying the process. I'm certainly rooting for the team and the, and the kids that are playing, but I'm not buying this process right now. And there was yeah, a report uh, to that. There was a report that uh, Colangelo may have been trying to pull a little fast one over the weekend with the whole, uh, you know, Okafor being near traded, that that wasn't really the case, that there weren't like several suitors, that was really just the Pelicans, and Colangelo was just uh, making the decision to sit him out and not have him go on the road trip those couple of games because he was near a trade. When that wasn't the case, they were just talking to one team. He was just trying to drum up the uh, interest in Okafor, which didn't happen. I think other GMs who probably pulled the same kind of thing with GMs around the league knew that that wasn't the case. So Okafor ends up sitting out two games where he could have been, you know, showcased. And now he's back with the team. It just looks like a real messy situation. You're right. Like who, who does that? Like as soon as the guy's not (laughs) traded after the first day, everyone knows what the deal is. Like it's just like, he's like, He's the reason he was brought in is because Hinky can't communicate with agents, can't communicate with players, is is not available to the media and doesn't have a plan how to build it. Colangelo is supposed to be the guy that knows exactly how to do that and that's why they brought him in and he just looks like he's flying by the seat of his pants. I think he's really deba- debating like should we make a playoff push here or do I want to tank? Like he I don't think he has any plan whatsoever. And that's why I'm, like, concerned about the whole thing, being a season ticket holder and a fan. And I'm just like, what the heck, man? Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> well, and, and I, think, I, think you just, I think you just said it exactly right, Fred. It looks like there's no plan. And that's, what, that's what's the most frustrating thing. So, hey, Fred, we're going we're gonna to get you back during the season a little bit further and talk, uh, talk some more Sixers hoops. And, but we certainly appreciate all your hard work throughout the football season, breaking down all the games for it. It's been a lot of fun, and we, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. I loved it. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. I learned a lot, and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be happy to be on later, too. Th- thanks a lot for, for the whole season. 
All right, my man. All right, Fred, take it easy, pal. All right, see you. All right. In chat, uh, we're moving on to random Q2 time, week three, and we still might have some listeners that don't know what that is, so explain it again, and let's get on with it. Yeah, brief recap. We're doing a fun 10-show experiment. I'm asking you two little questions. The first question is a sports topic, something timely all the time. The second question will be one of 10 random questions. You've already answered a couple of those. You told us uh, that Born to Run is your favorite Springsteen song, and you told us that your wife Mary is not a sports fan, but she puts up with all the guys in the household anyway. So we're going to move on to week three. Here we go. Uh, your sports question tonight, Bill, the NBA All-Star Game is coming up this weekend. I know how you feel about All-Star Games, but I want you to rank the All-Star Games of the four major sports in terms of watchability. Easy. Baseball. Only one that's mm-hmm. even close to being competitive. Um, basketball, I think they what they do there is they just decide who is going to be the MVP. Usually somebody getting close to retirement, they let that guy do his thing, and it doesn't matter who wins and loses the game. It's uh, it's just an individual showcase. Hockey, uh, they ought to put me and you in the gold next year because that was about as good as the goalies were this year. <laughs> and and the Pro Bowl is unwatchable, completely unwatchable. So there you have it. Basketball, or I'm sorry, baseball, basketball, Hockey and the Pro Bowl are your top four your rank rankings, is that well, right? No, one and then all the rest is bad. Oh gotcha. Baseball's the only one that's really watchable. Okay. That's now right. for your I second question. In order. Go ahead. I gotcha. For your second question this week, Bill, because you've already chosen number one and number ten, I need you to pick a number from two to nine. Um, how about number eight? Number eight. Okay, here we go. I'm not a big reader of books. How about you? What is the last book you remember reading? The last book I remember reading, I am actually in the process of reading, believe it or not, although I am not a huge uh, reader myself, so it takes me a while. But it is a book called Finding Ultra, and it was given to me by my son, Mike, who is an Ironman participant. And it's a, basically it's about uh, how a man became the fittest man in the world when he was just a couch potato like me. And uh, it is really a very interesting read. So I'm reading that at this time. And uh, also on my uh, book stand that's next up is I got Springsteen book as a gift. And uh, oh. I hope to read that at some point soon. Very nice. As for me, I got to tell you, I haven't read a full book since, I think, 1999. In 1999, I read Tuesdays with Maury, the Mitch Album book about the guy Mm -hmm. with uh, ALS. And then I also read Crash, the Dick Allen story, because I was a big Richie Allen fan, as you know. Since then, I've, you know, bought a bunch of books, never read them. Of course, I have, like, Ray Didinger and Glenn Macnow's book about sports movies and some other things, like, that are good coffee table books, but... I haven't read a full book since 1999. I'm very sad to say. Well, I, I will tell you, I have read I've read every John Wooden book that's ever been written. I think, and I've also read most of the Joe Paterno books that have been written as well. Wow. So, I'm not a nice. great reader, but uh, but I do read them. Gotcha. All right. 
Did I pass the test this week? You did. That's Q2 for week three. We'll uh, do it again in a couple of weeks. All right. Hey, let's move on because I want to talk some flyers. What in the world do you make of this team at this point? They're streaky. They've been bad. They can't score goals. For the most part, the goaltending has been decent. What are the playoff chances with less than 25 games to play of this bunch? What do you make of it? Well, I looked at the standings right before showtime, and they are two points back of Toronto for the eighth and final Eastern Conference playoff spot. And if they're going to make the playoffs, it's going to be the eighth seed the way it's looking right now. Um, So, yeah, they're two points back of Toronto, and four or five other teams are right behind the orange and black and still very much in the hunt. So they've tightened things up defensively, and it looks like Michael Neuvert may be the goalie of choice, at least for now. But, as you know, they've really struggled to score goals the last couple of weeks. So, having said all that, I put their playoff chances at about 45% currently. And I want you to know I used a lot of metrics to come up with that number, 45%. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, and Sam uh, that Helen wrote an article today, again, a post for this on the website, too, about they, they're focused so much on defenses that hurt in their offense. And, you know, there's there's certainly um, support to that theory. Yeah, there's something to that. But it's good to see them playing better defense. But, I mean, some guys got to step up. Other than Wayne Simmons, who's having a real good year, a lot of guys are not scoring the way we expected them to. Giroux's been kind of slumping lately. Voracek's been up and down. We know about the offense of defenseman Shane Gostisbehar being a big difference from last year. Uh, Braden Shen was hot for a while. He's still, I think, among the leaders in power play goals in the NHL, but he hasn't done a whole lot lately. So, yeah, they got a ways to go. So uh, there's still plenty of time, but I'm going to stick with my 45% odds of making the playoffs. Okay. Well, I want you, you mentioned Gossip Fair, and I, I certainly wanted to bring this up with you. What's your thoughts on the Dave Haxtell rotational benching, if you will call it, of uh, – Gosses Bear and Konechny and some others along the way. Um, good coaching tactics or not so good? I'm not a huge fan of it. I think you want to get Gosses Bear out there playing. He's, he's got to snap out of it, and I think the way to do it is to play him. I was fine with it the first time he did it, maybe even the second time, but now he's benched Gosses Bear, I think, three different games. I want him out there playing. He's a young kid. Let him learn. You know, he's still got to be one of the guys for the future. I want him out there playing. Same with Konechny. Um, the guy's got a lot of talent, a lot of potential. He's 20 years old. Let him play. See what happens. The good thing about the Flyers is there are a lot of guys waiting in the wings down on the farm, Lehigh Valley and elsewhere, who hopefully will be big contributors, you know, in the next year or two. So I just hope that, you know, by the time they're there, that some of the other guys are still with the team and able to contribute. Talking guys like Giroux and Voracek. Otherwise, they're going to miss their opportunity. And we know about the goaltending situation. You know how I feel about that. But would you think that I would disagree with your position on that, uh, Coach Haxtell move? Um, I never know with you. Uh, in this case, I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to tell you, I read that article and actually saw the interview uh, and I think we, I actually posted the article on, on the website. Um, you did, yeah. You know, and and Dave Baxter's position was when you're in this league, you don't get to practice. And you can't practice while you're helping us lose games. So you're not playing, and they're actually getting more work and getting better while they're not playing than when they are playing. 
And that was his reasoning uh, for sitting these guys out and, and doing it for a little bit more uh, of an extended period of time, which uh, makes perfectly good sense when you think about it. Those guys play every other day. When are you going to practice? Yeah, it's tough. I know that. But as you know, 25, 26 games to go. they got to get it in gear. They did it last year. They were in the same position last year, you know, clawing uh, at the final playoff spot last year, and they got in. So let's see if they can do it again. We'll see. And we'll, we'll talk about that some more because I want to hit you up uh, on our next show and just see if you think they're better now than they were at this time last year. But we'll hold that thought hey, and hey. talk more flyers next time around. And before we move forward, while I think of it, I just want to mention I was at the uh, Barkan Foundation Back to the 80s event last weekend. We had Mike Barnes on the show last week to talk about it. What a fantastic event. Some 300 people there, 80s music, more than half of the people dressed in costume. You probably saw my goofy outfit, an 80s rocker, posted on uh, Facebook. Uh, they raised a lot of money for charity. And i I got to tell you, everybody who was there at the Rosebank Winery in Newtown had a blast. So, so thanks to Ellen Barkan, Michael Barkan, and Mike Barnes for organizing all that. It was fun. It looked like a blast. The pictures looked like it was fantastic. And uh, you look good, my friend, as an 80 mystery <laughs> rocker. <laughs> yeah, I look like D. Snyder. Everybody said I look like D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. So not a great-looking guy, but I'll take that. <laughs> There you go. All right. Hey, Jeff, mentioned it a few times. It's still booming. Again, we want to say thank you to each and every one of you that visits the site. And we've added a new sponsor this week, LuLaRoe. Taylor and Heather have joined the team, and we're excited about that. You know, Jeff, the question came up about selling women's fashions on a sports website. But think about it. Where do men spend most of their time? On sports websites. Smart play by those girls. So, of course, we, we have plenty of ladies that visit the site as well. So it's easy shopping all the way around. Just go to the website, phillypressboxradio.com, click on the ad, LuLaRoe, Taylor and Heather. Pretty cool. And being the fashion expert that I am, I will have to check it out myself. Well, you know what I do is I pull <laughs> that up, click on it, and show it to my wife. That's the way to do it. That's it. All right. Well, hey, Chet, we've been on a roll for a while. I think 31 or 32 consecutive weeks. So tell us what's lined up. Yeah, Bill, that's right. We have done live shows every single week since last July. But we are taking next Wednesday off. You heard that right. No live show next week. But you know what? For the heck of it, I'm going to load up and replay our best of the first 98 shows uh, because we got some great reaction to that. And I was actually listening to it the other day while working on the computer, and it, it was some fun stuff, i got to say. So we're going to put that out there again next week for anybody who missed it and doesn't want to go through the ordeal of trying to find it. Then we're going to come back the following Wednesday, March 1st, with a show that I'm really looking forward to. It's not finalized yet, but I expect to have a popular former Philadelphia Flyer joining us. Stay tuned. But we do have another guest confirmed, and let me tell you, he is going to be terrific. His name is Bill Simmons from South Jersey, but he is better known as El Wingador, a five-time champion of that wild and crazy event, Wing Bowl. But he is also a guy who fairly recently spent two years in prison for cocaine distribution and has since been working to rebuild his life. He has written a book about all of that, and he will be on our show live on March 1st to talk about it. And there's nothing we can't discuss with him, he assures me. Very good. That's going to be awesome. 
All right. Oh, hey, yeah. let's get to our signing update at Carl's Cars and Collectibles. Chet, you visited Carl's last weekend to meet that Bill Clement. How was it? I got to tell you, it was pretty awesome. Carl had a real nice turnout, as always, for those Stanley Cup era flyers. I talked to Carl about it. He says, these people around here, these Flyers fans, never cease to amaze me, is what Carl said. He said, they just love these old-time Flyers. And, boy, he's right. I got to talk with Bill Clement, by the way, for a few minutes at the end of the event, and he was super. What a nice guy. And, yes, he just may turn up on our show in the not-too-distant future. Very good. Well, hey, and speaking of the Flyers, next up at Carl's, Flyers legend Bobby Clark. Carl will need all items in his possession no later than March 1st. That's a private signing. Also, just added a private signing with another Flyer Hall of Famer, Bernie Perron. All items need to be in for for March 1st for that one also. And, Chet, you're going to love this one. Current Flyers rookie sensation Travis Konechny will be in the store on March the 1st as well. For all the details, go to our website, phillypressboxradio.com, and click on Carl's Cards and Collectibles banner at the top and go directly to Carl's website for all the details or stop by. Carl's Cards and Collectibles at 22 West Steagle Road, Havertown, PA. Or give Carl a call at 610-789-4996. You can also contact Carl on Twitter at Carl's Cards. Mr. Chesco, parting shot for you, sir. We're close on time. Yep. I'm not the first one to complain about this, but ticket prices for ball games and concerts are just ridiculous. We learned Tuesday that the Eagles are raising ticket prices an average $7 a game. I posted a picture the other day of my ticket stub to see Queen with the great Freddie Mercury in concert in Philly 40 years ago this week. The ticket was $7.5, including a 45-cent fee. Yeah, that's right, 45 cents. Now, I'm going to see Queen with Adam Lambert. It was good, but he's not Freddie Mercury this summer in Philly. My ticket is 85 bucks, or nearly 12 times what I paid in 1977 to see the original band in their prime. What's really crazy is the fees and surcharges, especially on concert tickets. A $99 seat costs you about 120 bucks after the fees and surcharges are tacked on. And don't get me started on secondary market tickets, concession prices, or how much it costs to park your friggin' car. I'm mad as hell, and... Ah, heck, who am I kidding? I'll continue to take it because unless I stay home, there's no way around it. There you go. All right, hey, Chet, we're going to wrap it up. We want to thank our guest, Chris Wheeler, Fred Hugo, Carl's Cards and Collectibles. For Jim Chancesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Fox Radio next Wednesday, March, or two Wednesdays from now, March 1st. You can listen to our new website, phillypressboxradio.com, or on Facebook or on the Internet at www.blogtalkradio.com slash Philly Press Box Radio. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. High hopes, yeah.